and the topic I would like you to speak on is, is Jesus calling the disciples. And I thought, John, you, you just know how to get a man going in the sense of passionate about preaching this stuff. And so um, for me, when John taught, Ian, this is, this is the direction we're going. We're talking about the life of Christ and what it means and looks like to be human. Um, that, for me, just paints the, this picture of what Jesus has invited us into. It, he, he's not only fully God, but he's fully human. And so he, he reveals what it, what it is to... For, for, he reveals to us who God is, but he also reveals to us what it looks like for us to be fully human. And he invites us into this journey and exploration to discover and become all that he designed us to be in the beginning. And so this whole journey of discipleship and Jesus uh, calling uh, the, the, tw- the original 12 to follow him was actually about him implementing the stuff that had always been in the heart of God to begin with. Right from the, call of eight, right from the beginning of time, right from the, the cr- beginning of creation account, right the way through to the call of Abraham, to the prophets, to the arrival of Jesus, to the sending of the 12, to the consummation at the end of the new heaven and the new earth when everything is restored and redeemed. This is Jesus outworking the eternal purposes and plans of God. So I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 4, and uh, verses 18 and 22. And I'm just, I, I'm gonna, we're going to walk through the journey a little bit of just what is happening in these moments. Um, so shall we begin before we go anywhere else, by reading those verses. So before I read, can I pray? Jesus, as we we were praying earlier, just before the service, you... uh, you were present and stirring hearts, Jesus, for what you might want to do this morning. And so, Jesus, as we approach this text and as we've uh, come through the, the service to this point, Jesus, this isn't simply about fulfilling a tick box exercise where we listen to your word and we've sung some songs and we uh, do the things that we ordinarily do. But Jesus, uh, in these moments, I, I believe that you want to stir our hearts for something more and to capture a pic, uh, just an image of what it looks like to be a disciple of, of, of yours with a heart that is, is fully consecrated to you. So Jesus, in these moments, would you gently, persuasively, courageously calling us to a greater level of the suit of the things of your kingdom than ever before. Because we get a picture of something far bigger than ourselves. We get a glimpse of what it is that you've invited us into for your glory and your name's sake. So Jesus, I ask that you would do what only you can do this morning in our hearts and lives as we engage with your word. For your glory, I ask. Amen. So Jesus, um, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brothers, uh, brother John. They were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately, left, they left the boat and their father and followed him. We're going to pause there. So it's interesting that, to me, as I read this passage, there are certain three key phrases that stand out in this moment. So Jesus... Uh, sees the disciples, and he says to them, follow me, phrase, phrase number one. Secondly, he says, I will make you fishers of men, second phrase. And thirdly, the thing that stands out is immediately they responded to Jesus. So what is going on in this moment when Jesus has invited the disciples to follow him? What does that mean, and what does that look like? What's the implications for their life? Because I think as we read the text and we grapple with the life of Jesus and the, the outworking of discipleship in, the, in those, those first disciples, we've got to not simply say, what's the application? Like we can often jump a step and say, how does that apply? We've got to go, what are the implications for this text? How do, what are the implications of who Jesus is and what he's asking of those original disciples? What are the implications for me? Not just what am I going to do? Because there's something more working. It's, 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 a, it's about an internal work. And so, the, I don't know whether you've ever read this. This is strange. Why would these disciples, why would they, they leave everything immediately? The moment Jesus says, come follow me, they drop everything and they go, and, and, and they walk with him. Now, you and I, we, you know, we, I, I was, uh, I'm old enough to understand, you know, remember the stranger danger thing. Like, you don't go with the person who just says, come follow me. Like, that's just not, it's not what we do. So, there's going to, so there is actually a sense of which there was prior relationship here with Jesus and the, and the four that he calls in this passage. So, prior to this, there has been some interaction between Jesus and these four, people, these four disciples. These four would-be disciples. Uh, some commentators suggest actually these were the people that the, uh, Peter, James, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were the four people that went with Jesus to the, the wedding in Cana, the first miracle where they saw and began to understand something of Jesus. The call followed later. This prior relationship, which is really important, because how many of you immediately came to faith the mo faith the moment you heard about Jesus? How many conversations did it take? before you actually said, I, Jesus, I recognize there's something about you. I'm going to position my life to follow after you. So that if you think about discipleship, it's not just like this one moment decision or this, uh, this, this impartation of things. There's a movement from unbelief to belief. So the prior relationship with Jesus and the four was, a, it was him establishing contact that helped them to move from a place of, we don't really know who this Jesus is, to a place of, I'm really interested about who this Jesus is. And so often in our discipleship and evangelism, we, we want to start right here, when actually we've got to start over here somewhere and do the building work of helping people move from a place of unbelief to belief. Whether they come to the point, that point or not, our job, just like Jesus, was to help people move to this place of answering a crucial question, who is Jesus and is he worth following? And so the disciples, at this point, as they're about their ordinary everyday life, I love this, like they're, they're fishermen, and they're mending their nets. 
They're just doing what they do every single day. There's something very, very ordinary about these disciples. And Jesus' uh, Jesus's, uh, discipleship is actually radically different to the discipleship of the day. Because discipleship in this context was not an unusual term to use. In fact, one of the commentators on this is a guy called Michael Wilkins, who's uh, just a brilliant on, uh, on, on anything to do with discipleship, actually, and, and his commentary on Matthew is particularly helpful. He says that there's something, that the, the, there's uniqueness to Jesus' discipleship. Because in the, in the day, what would have happened is that um, young men who would have been aspiring to be rabbis, to have people who would follow after them, would go to a rabbi and they say, Rabbi, will you let me follow you? I want to be a disciple of yours, Rabbi, because, and they'd reel off a CV as as to why they should be accepted into their school of theology. And the the Rabbi would then go, well, tell me, me what's your understanding of Torah? Tell me, recite some of these passages to me. Or they would say, tell me about what do I believe? What do I teach about a particular subject? So they would offer their invitation to follow after the rabbi. Now, the object of that was that they, too, would have rabbis who would li- uh, followers who would listen to their teaching. So that at some point, they could be promoted to be a rabbi and have this school where they could share their thoughts and their ideas about Torah, the Old Testament. Jesus is radically different. Because Jesus doesn't, invite, he doesn't have people who just come up to him and say, can I follow you? Jesus doesn't, uh, doesn't actually take um, volunteers. He calls. He calls people and invites people. It's this, not just a, oh, come and follow me, because it's, it's a good thing. He beckons people. He, it's this sense of Jesus calling people to come and orientate their whole life under his leadership. So Jesus, interestingly though, see something in the four people that others hadn't, hadn't seen. Who knows whether Peter and John and, and Andrew and James had, had gone up to rabbis in the past and say, we'd like to follow you. But the rabbis hadn't seen anything enough in them to say, yeah, come and follow me. But what is so interesting is that as Jesus is walking along the, along, the, along the sea, the edge of the sea, he sees these guys and he's seen something in them prior. And he says, I think you could be a disciple of mine. I see something in you that I can invest in and draw out. And so he invites them. And I think that's why they responded. I think their response was something because they under, they, they'd moved in, in their understanding that this Jesus is unlike any other rabbi because there was something authoritative about his teaching and the way that he did the miraculous. There's something about this Jesus that I want to get to know. So I think that's why the, those first disciples responded in the way that they did. And it was some, the discipleship of Jesus is unique to the discipleship of the day. So what is he asking? When he says, come and follow me, what is the invitation? What's the ask? Is it say, just, oh, guys, just come and add some stuff into your life that means that, you know, you can just fit this in around what you're doing? Or is the invitation... To follow Jesus, something of wholehearted allegiance to him. Is it a say, is this sense of you follow? And I think we see this actually in, the, in their response that they left everything to follow Jesus. There was, an, there was a shift of allegiance from family business, from the ordinary everyday stuff, to the pursuit and following of Jesus. Now, 
We're going to get to this in a moment because actually we're not going to land at the end of this with me saying, you've got to give up your jobs. Because <laughs> that's just not how it works. But actually, <laughs> some of you are saying that. Maybe this is how, well, we can have a conversation after. Um, but actually what we're talking about is an, an allegiance, a, a prioritization of the call of God to orient the whole of our life under his leadership. I think the other thing that we've got to understand about the, this call is it wasn't, it, was, it, it wasn't without cost. So the call to follow Jesus, you, you may be sat in meetings where the call to follow Jesus goes something like this. Come to Jesus and he will meet your every need. You will be, you will be set up forever. You'll get, come to Jesus and he'll, he'll just meet every need and you will be saved in the end. You'll get to heaven. So there's a massive disconnect between what happens here and what happens there. And if, we, if we're sold that gospel, then what happens when your need isn't met? Or maybe not your need, but your want. What happens then? And so what, what, we've, what we've done in the West, and I, I can say this actually now because I've done some traveling. And I've seen what, how God is doing across the globe and the cost that people pay for their, for their, for, to follow Jesus. So there's this, Jesus isn't setting the bar of discipleship here. He's setting the bar of discipleship up here. Because he, later on he's going to say to them, if you, your, if you, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. What's that all about? Well, the Pharisees were really, really moral people. But there was something missing internally. And so the, 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 the call to discipleship is not simply about what you do, but it's about who you're becoming. And I think what we've done in the West is we've made our Christianity about what we do. And so therefore, we can do this bit, and then the rest of my time is God's. Um, so, Ian, I, I wonder if you could just skip on to the, the next uh, slide number four, please. Yeah, you just go through to number four. Yeah, thanks. So what we've done in the West, and this is, this is not the invitation of Jesus, is we, have you heard it said that, you know, we put, we put God first? And then we put family second, so because there's a pecking order. God first, family second. And then we put work or ministry third, because you know God supersedes work and family, and, and family priorities supersede that of work, uh, which isn't always true in practice, is it? Let's face it. And then we've got whatever else is left, you can do whatever else you like for. Now, how many of us actually live that way? In all honesty, I think that's really hard to live by. Because there's some compartmentalization to our life. Well, I'm going to do my God bit on Sundays and Wednesdays when we have connect groups. And I'm going to do my God bit when I serve him over here. And then the rest of the time, well, I can prioritize family. Because that, that God bit can't intrude on my precious family time. Well, what about work? And then what about everything else? We just don't live that way. So... Is Christianity and following Jesus, the pursuit of discipleship, is something a little bit more like this? Could you bring up that next? So this idea of worship. Worship of God in the center of everything that we have. So this sphere is the, is the, the entire encompass of our life. It's like just everything fits into that. Work, family, life, leisure, everything. Worship, service. Because the idea of worship, by the way, isn't simply about what we've just done this morning as we've sung some songs and we've raised our hands and, and it was glorious and it was beautiful and it's valuable 
And it's important because it lifts our gaze from what we see to someone who is greater and above all. It's hugely important. But worship, if we reduce it down to a Sunday, compartmentalizes our life. So when uh, Moses went to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go that they might worship me, that Hebrew word is translated, serve me. So the connection between worship and service if we want to live a whole a life of, of whole life worship and whole life devotion, is actually that every single part of our life, family, community, friends, ministry, work, hobbies, everything submits to the Lordship of Jesus and influences how we do those things. So actually what Jesus is saying, come and follow me, because now if you're going to pledge allegiance to me, your own agenda... The own pattern of how you get to rule your own life, guys, is coming to an end. Now, this isn't just, this, this I have to make clear at this point, it was a journey and a progression from the, in the disciples' lives that the more that they walked with Jesus, we see from the beginning of the Gospels to the end of the Gospels, a growth and progression in understanding of who Jesus is. So if you're really early on in the journey with Jesus, I, I, do you know what, I'm, it's fantastic it's amazing, it's so exciting, it's so good. But don't camp there. Because actually, the more that you walk with Jesus, the more your, your belief is centered and shaped around who he is, and it will impact every part of your life. So there is this journey, and there is this progression. But it comes down to this point. They had to make a decision in that moment. Did, did Jesus coerce them? Did Jesus try and manipulate them? No. He simply said, guys, come and follow me. The invitation was open. The response was theirs. So there was a personal invitation, and it required a personal response. But he didn't leave them in isolation. He brought them into community. And so the other interesting thing about this allegiance to Jesus is we just don't, we don't do it alone. Actually, together this morning, we're a people whose allegiance we have sung to, <laughs> sung of, to Jesus. Like, actually, all the songs and our worship, the, the pattern of our life, it's like, this is who Jesus is, and this is how we get to live. And so it comes down to this point of allegiance and cost. So in Matthew, um, Matthew 9, Matthew records his own call, his own call to Jesus. Matthew was a ta tax collector. And as a tax collector, Matthew would have had great wealth. Matthew would have had great resources. He wasn't liked particularly, but he, he was a wealthy man. And in that moment, when Jesus comes up to him as he's in his tax booth, and he says, to, he says the same thing to Matthew, come follow me. Matthew gets out of the tax booth, leaves everything behind, and, go, and follows Jesus. Now, it's interesting with that story is that Matthew opens up his whole home so that other people might come and meet Jesus. Because why he's understood that there's something about this Jesus that, invoke, that will invoke obedience and a response to him. And so there's a cost. Matthew, um, Matthew left a well-paying, albeit corrupt, job to put, follow Jesus. The other part of cost, actually, I, I'm sorry I kind of camp, like, labor this a little bit, but I, I, I think in order for us to kind of step into the things that God is calling to us, it, it, it's not about adding loads of stuff into our life. Actually, it's just about realigning our life. 
So it's about realigning our priorities and our allegiance to Jesus so that when you go to work, you go as a disciple of Jesus, not simply as a worker in that environment. This, this is a sense of, um, this, is just, this is the cost. It's the cost to follow Jesus. And there's a narrow way. We, um, some, of the, some of the way that our culture is going, it just seems very broad, doesn't it? Like, any, anything goes. Would that, is that a fair assessment? The, any, anything just seems to go. And so, actually, as a follower of Jesus, it, unfortunately, not everything goes. You don't get to determine what, you, what we do or don't believe. I do believe we get to wrestle with this stuff. I do believe we get to ask some questions. I do believe we get to journey with it. But actually, as a follower of Jesus, I don't get to deter, determine and dictate what is right and what is wrong. What is in the gray areas. I don't get that. That is... As a disciple of Jesus, it's Jesus who sets the course, and Jesus sets the pace. Now, do we have to? Do, we do have to wrestle with some stuff, because it it isn't always as easy, is it? But we do have to wrestle with it and come to the point of who is Jesus, and if Jesus is who He says He is, then what are the implications for my life? And I, I just as I read this, I think this is what Jesus is inviting the disciples into now. For those of you who think, well, this doesn't sound much fun. Um, actually, the life of the uh, journey of, of discipleship isn't, isn't the easy path. It is the narrow path. But actually, the invitation of Jesus is that is, if you lay down your life, if you lay down your life for me, you will inherit so much more. Because it's in the laying down of our life, just as Jesus did, that he laid it, laid it down and rose out of the grave. And what did he arise out of the grave? Alive. Alive forevermore, conquering sin and death. So therefore, when we die to self and we, we, we become alive to Christ and we step into life as it was fully intended to be. So the only way that we can enter that life to be fully human is to, is to lay down our own agenda and step into the life that Christ has invited, for, invited us into. That's, that's the call. That's the invitation. This life abundantly. Life, um, life like we've never known it. And it's not about the possession of stuff, but actually the invitation is to, uh, of Jesus to what goes on in here. So the, the, the passage, the, the verses that follow, Jesus will begin to, to unpack the sermon on the, delivers the Sermon on the Mount, and all the way through, it's not about the stuff, it's about what happens in. It's always about the heart, it's always about what God is, is wanting to do internally. And so the life that we are invited into Christ is a life that is full of joy and hope and purpose and meaning, and we become alive to the things of God. I have to be honest. I have to be honest with you. I've never felt so alive, apart from the times when I'm absolutely on point with what God is asking of us, as a family. I, I, I've never felt more alive when there's that passionate pursuit of the things of the kingdom. I think I think our family benefits from it. And so this this idea that the cost, we have to count the cost. But if we're willing to count the cost. I believe it's the gateway to the life that Jesus has purposed us to inherit.
And so, what is a disciple? A disi- who is a disciple? And this is what I think Jesus is trying to nail with them. It's this journey to, from, um, from unbelief to belief, so that the, our belief is crucial. What we believe about Jesus is absolutely crucial. Because what we believe about Jesus will de- determine how we live. See, if Jesus isn't Lord, right, in, in practice in your life, then actually it won't, he won't impact how you live your life at all. So you can compartmentalize your life and say, well, I've done my God bit here. But if Jesus is Lord, then it's going to have massive implications for your life. So our belief system is crucial. Now, um, I, I, think, I think we're really good <laughs> at, at giving theological assent to a, 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 a principle or truth that we, we claim to hold. So many of us would say Jesus, Jesus is Savior and Lord. But actually, if we want to understand what somebody truly believes, it's not the words that we need to listen to, but it's the actions from which they follow through. Because it's actions actually are det- determine um, the val- uh, that demonstrate and display the values that we truly hold. So we can give theological assent to Jesus, Lord, but if he doesn't impact how we spend our money, how hard we work at work, how we treat our kids, how we treat our family, how we treat our neighbors, if it doesn't impact on all of those things, then can we say Jesus truly is Lord? Because remember, it's not, it's not just about what you do, it's about what happens within, and we'll, we'll get there in a moment. But there is this sense then of obedience to Jesus. So it's this belief, Jesus is Lord, he's Savior, will impact your obedience. So if this is what Jesus requires of us, this is what we will do. Which then leads on to this life that Jesus invited us into, because he didn't just recruit a, a group of guys to, to sit around and sing Kumbaya for three years, and, and sit and hanker down and wait until, until eternity comes. He He invested in them so they might invest in other people. So what they did as a result of Jesus' ascension to the Father and that sense of commission to to the church was an outflow of what what he had been doing in them right up until that point. And so it flowed out of who they were. And, and, you know, I, I think even during that point where they were planting churches and they were doing ministry, they were growing and learning all the time about who Jesus is. Didn't stop when Jesus gave that commission, it didn't, their learning didn't stop. They continued to be disciples of Jesus, even as they planted churches and made disciples. And so the invitation to us for discipleship, the invitation of Jesus to these four, was that they would become fishers of men. So then, let's pick up on that. I will make you fish for people, Jesus said. It's interesting. So that whole inner, inner work, that Journeying with Jesus was about the preparation and shaping of a, for a life of mission. Because actually, I, I, I'm, this may sound harsh, but I, I genuinely don't think we can be a, a, a disciple the way that Jesus intended it without living a life purposed in mission. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I, that's, that's a real challenge. I might disagree to some degree, but I don't, I don't think we can. I, I think when Jesus called the disciples, he was calling them to mission. He says, come follow me, and I will make you fish for people. 
because there's a whole host of people in Stratford-upon-Avon who don't yet know Jesus. There's a whole host of people in your your neighborhood, uh, your street, your work, wherever it is, that don't know Jesus. And what 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 they need more than anything is not you to be a do-gooder. What they need is they need you to be a disciple of Jesus who brings the presence of Jesus into that environment. Who then, out of the overflow of what God is doing in you, begins to do the good stuff. I'm an idealist at heart. So I make no apologies. So I, I, I have these ideal moments where I think, wouldn't it be amazing if every disciple of Jesus was to be able to step into an environment and people, people in that environment would understand that there's something radically different about the way that they live their life. So that's my goal. If you like, that's the bar that I set for my life. That actually I'd love to be that kind of disciple that steps into an environment that goes, well, that's something different about you. And it's not just, and I'm not a vegetarian either. You know. It's like, it, it's, just, it's just there's something different about the way that we live our life. And I think, that, I think we've, we've concentrated so hard on being relevant and we've lost the call to be distinct. We tried as a church to be relevant. Not just this church. I'm not talking about this church. The, the church to be relevant. And actually we're called to be distinct people. It doesn't mean to say that we're not to use relevant words. Absolutely. We've got to communicate in a way that connects with people. And it's not to say that we don't do relevant things. Absolutely. But actually the call at the heart of it is that we are distinct. Because the people you come into contact with, they need to see the reality and the outworking of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus whose life is, is being shaped by the fact that he's Lord. We like the salvation bit, but if we neglect the Lord bit, I don't think we fully ever step into the life of full discipleship the way that Jesus intended it to be. So you make, make fish for people. Um, C.S. Lewis said this. Um, oh, no, I'll ditch that quote. So John, at the beginning, wrote, read Psalm 67, which for me has been a, a, a psalm that I've kept coming back to time and time again. Why is it that God blesses us? Is it so that we can simply feel good about ourselves? Is it so that we, we can finish here and then go about our business? Or does he bless us and invite us into this relationship with him so that the world might know his ways? It's got to be the latter. It's got to be the latter. It, for anything else, it's not worth getting out of bed for. For anything else, it's not worth paying the cost for. But to live the life that Jesus invited us to live, with absolute clarity of purpose and reason, that wherever we find ourselves, we are sent as ambassadors and missionaries. That, all of a sudden, begins to give a bit of clarity and purpose to why we exist as a church. So we don't exist for ourselves. Do we want to love one another and serve one another and help one another? Help one? Absolutely we do. But actually as a church, as God's people, we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for those who are yet to encounter Jesus and have lives transformed by him. And that isn't just about the paid few doing the work of mission and ministry. That's about every single one of us who have been called to follow Jesus, having lives that are shaped by him 
to engage in the mission that he's called us, which is right before us. You don't need to go to Papua New Guinea to be a missionary. You don't need to go to Cambodia to be a missionary. You don't need to go to Zimbabwe to be a missionary. You need to begin, we need to begin right where we are. And actually, God might call you to go and do cross-cultural mission elsewhere. And that's great. And I'd love to have a conversation with you. But I think it always begins right where we are, living out and working out what it looks like to do a life of mission in the context where we're already placed. And so Jesus invites these guys to train them and equip them as missionaries. And in that word make, Jesus is doing something so radically different in them. And all the time, all the time, as I read the Gospels, I'm just looking that he's sending and training and equipping. He's releasing them and bringing them back in to, uh, into relationship to debrief on all the stuff that he's, involved, he's, he's had them involved in. So in Matthew 10, he sends them out on mission and he brings them back in. And we don't need to wait until we've got to a certain level to be about the mission of Jesus. Actually, we just need to work We go, Jesus, what have you placed in our hands? What are the opportunities before me? I'm going to walk with you. And we'll learn as we go. The information will come. But the, 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 um, the outworking of all that we're learning and understanding is done in the practice of being about the mission of Jesus. So if all of this is true, if all of this is true, this call to discipleship to live our whole life under his leadership, what does that look like? What does that look like for you? Well, I think there are, there are five marks from John 15 that give us a, an indication of what we're looking, looking for as a, as, a, as a disciple. These are the things I look for in my own life. Am I growing in these things? So somebody who abides and remains in Jesus, somebody who's in relationship with Jesus, somebody who's walking with Jesus, not just knows facts about Jesus, but knows Jesus and responds to his voice. My sheep know my voice. I, I think that works its way out in I think, reading scripture. I think that works its way out in community. I think that works its way out in mission. But I think at the starting point is this life that is centered in Jesus. A life that abides. And secondly, I think it, uh, it, we're, we're aiming for fruit. We're not just aiming for faithfulness, we're aiming for fruit. We're not just aiming for faithfully walk after Jesus, but I think we will walk with Jesus, faithfully walk with him, we will bear fruit. So your life and my life will begin to change. Becomes to reflect a little bit more of the character of Christ. Becomes to be a little bit more fragrant in the environments in which we, we step into. I, I think there's this journey of fruitfulness. I think, we I think what we're looking for is people who respond in obedience. Jesus, who, uh, to, to the words of Jesus, but to the calling of the Spirit. So I, the, one of the reasons I, I, I think we can talk about this is that when um, just about 12 months ago I felt the Lord ask me to, to apply for the missions job um, I was really, we were really comfortable in Selly Oak actually I was really enjoying leaving the church I, I, had, I had a nice rhythm to life it was all set I think after like 5 years we've managed to find a, a good rhythm I was able to, to do all the stuff that I needed to do and get to spend some time with the kids and and, and Rachel, and just do the kind of life, of, life stuff with other people. It was good. But then that whisper of the Spirit that says, Ian, I, I think, I want you to do this. And I'm going, are you sure, Lord? 
And so the whole wrestling match, God, are you sure? Because life's really good now. And, and so the act of obedience is responding to what Jesus asks you, even if it means leaving that which is uncomfortable. Now, I think we work that stuff out in community. I don't think we just go, oh, yeah, I've heard the Lord. I think we need other people to, to test some stuff. But I think where, where it's really clear, we've just got to walk in obedience. But where, it, where there's maybe not something written down about the direction of, of travel, we need other people to journey along. And so the call to obedience. Now, the, the cost is that it means I'm away um, at, at various points in the year. But there's cost and there's obedience. So I think what it looks like is it's people who are willing to respond to Jesus. I think that's what discipleship ultimately looks like. People who are walking with Jesus and responding to Jesus. The other thing that I think will be really crucial, and as we come to a close, is that we'll be a people of joy. I, I, I think Christians should be the most joy-filled people. Not, not necessarily because all the circumstances of life are neat and tidy. But I do think that there's something about the life of Christ that enables joy to come in, in our hearts. I think that's the call. I think the invitation of Jesus to abide in him will bear fruit in joy, a joyful life. And in the midst of challenge, what is it? I, I guess that's what it looks like, uh, what it, the challenge of what it looks like in the midst of difficult circumstances to live a joy-filled life. And then the other marker in, in, with joy, I, I think we become a people who are far more loving. I think one of the marks of maturity as we journey with Jesus, is that we become far more loving, far more graceful. I, I, I think we begin to relax, reflect something of the life of Christ as we begin to love like Jesus. It's a, live, love, and look like Jesus, the, 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 the values of the church, and that we, we want to live like Jesus, look like Jesus, and love like Jesus. I, I just think that, actually, as, as God's people, one of the markers of discipleship is that you're going to love people who are difficult to love. Because I think it reflects our Savior. So love like Jesus. And in the midst of all of that, we get to invest our lives in the lives of others, helping them to journey from unbelief to belief. I think this impacts the way that we, um, the way that we view our home, actually. And fundamentally, I think it would be, uh, the, the call to discipleship affects how we view our home, our life, our work, our money, our commitment, our priorities. I think it affects everything. Because my, my home is no longer my own. You heard the, the phrase, uh, an Englishman's home is his, uh, uh, home is his castle. You know, let's pull up the drawbridge. I'm, I'm home now and I'm, I'm just I'm safe. Please don't disturb I'm, I'm not sure that that's the, the, the way that Jesus intended it to be. I think he invites the disciples into his life as a model and a pattern for what it looks like for us to disciple other people. We can't just disciple people by putting them through a course, but actually creating space in our life for people to come and see and experience what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. It means letting people in. With all the mess, with all the chaos, what does it mean for you to live a life under the Lordship of Jesus 
a life of obedience and a life of love. I think that's what it means to be a disciple. And I think that was the invitation of Jesus. Can I pray? Father, I thank you for your kindness towards us. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't, you don't treat us as we deserve. Jesus, we, um, we didn't choose you, but you chose us. You saw something in us that, that you called out of us and invited us to walk with you, to be changed by you, and to be used by you. Mission. Redemption and rescue mission. And so Jesus, I ask that you would do, so, do something in us in these moments. Lord, where grace needs to abound, may it abound abundantly. And maybe this morning as I've talked, you've felt, oh man, I've just, I've, you may have felt like you've missed the point. And, and that, the, 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 this morning was not about laying um, guilt, but an invitation to passionately pursue Jesus with all that you are. All Jesus is asking is a response of us to give allegiance to him above everything else so that he might be the central point of our lives. And so where you need grace this morning, may it abound to you greatly. May it abound to you. May you know the, 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 the passion and the love of the Savior but may he cause you to lift your eyes further and the, and the call deeper that you might follow him wholeheartedly, passionately. And may you begin to see what he has deposited in you and called you to for his glory and for his name's sake. Amen.